Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church. Welcome to this sermon podcast. It is great to be back with you again. It's been two or three weeks, and I'm now on the UVC Podbean feed for my sermons. So uh, I'm glad that you continue to listen and download. We are wrapping up our sermon series called Full Disclosure, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But let me first read the passage that we're focusing on this week. It comes from the prophet Amos. This is Amos 5, verses 21 through 26. Here are these words. I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, house of Israel? You will take up Sakath, your king, and Kaiwan, your star god, your images, which you made for yourselves. May God's blessing be on the reading of this word. So I think all of us in our lives probably have little things, hopefully all of us have little things that make us happy. Certainly many of us can point to big events in our lives that were cause for celebration, but probably many of us can also say that it's the little things in our day-to-day lives that uh, help us and keep us going. For me, as I think about uh, things in my day-to-day life, I also think about things, little things in my uh, vocation that make me happy. And one of those things happens whenever someone uh, new to a church that I'm pastor of changes a pronoun. And by that, I mean usually, and this has happened through all of my ministries, all of the churches that I've pastored, when someone starts to visit once, twice, three times, and they seem like they may want to be a part of the community, and they will ask me questions about the church, and they'll say, well, what does the church um, think or do about this? Or they'll say, what do you do, uh, and uh, how can I be involved? But they will often use pronouns like you, especially when asking questions about, about me or the church. But when they've finally decided that they want to be part of the community, I don't know, they don't necessarily make this a big deal. They may not even notice that they're doing it, but their pronoun changes from you to we. What are we doing about a certain thing? How can we be engaged in the neighborhood or the suburb or the village or whatever? And again, I don't think they notice it, but I notice it, that they have made that transition from uh, individualism into community. They have gone from you and me to we. And that is a little thing that always makes me very happy as a pastor of a church. We like to talk about we at Urban Village. We preach about the power of community at least a couple of times a year. We emphasize it when we talk about the different discipleship opportunities like small groups and intentional discipleship relationships and how powerful we is to our faith journey. But I can't remember a time that we've ever talked about the drawbacks or detriments of community. And this is more than just simply wanting time for yourself. Maybe if you're an introvert or something and being in community after a while can be exhausting and you just need to go apart and be by yourself for a while, as Jesus did. It's more than that. What happens when someone in a community that you're part of does something that you disagree with? 
And that can happen in any number of communities that we are part of, some of which are chosen, some of which are not. Certainly, I think there are probably times when all of us have a family member does or says something, and we quickly try to say, I don't believe that, or I'm not on the same page as that family member. It can be a family member. It can be maybe uh, you're fans of a particular musical act, and another fan does something that you don't agree with, or a sports team, or whatever it is. And certainly, the true same is true for religion and faith communities. Uh, certainly there are a lot of people who would say that they are Christians and their beliefs and actions I am quick to disavow. If someone says something that I profoundly disagree with, even though I say that I'm a Christian and the other person says that they're a Christian, and yet it seems like we are believing in two different Jesuses, I will always say, ah, but I am not that kind of Christian. I don't believe what that other person believes. We are quick to disavow or to separate ourselves from someone who may do or say something that embarrasses us or that we disagree with. So I want to reflect on community a bit and this whole notion of being part of a community, uh, part of a group when we disagree uh, as we come to a close in our full disclosure series that I've talked about, as we talk about confession and sin especially. So confession, we talk about confession, and we've reflected on this at our church in the last few weeks. Confession is often thought of as an individual thing, maybe between you and God, or you and a a pastor, a clergy person, or you and, and someone else. And we often will use I language in this. I am sorry that I have done this thing to you, or someone perhaps has apologized to us, and they're using I language. I take responsibility for my actions. And there is certainly, obviously, as we re- preached about it and reflected on it, there is a time for individual confession. But there's also a time for community confession, too. And it's not something that probably as uh, prevalent as we reflect on what confession is, again, because I think most of our attention is focused on the individual. We see uh, the whole notion of community and being part of a larger community that is doing some things and probably is in need of communal confession in the scripture passage that I read today from Amos. So just a word about who Amos is. If you ever look in your Bible and you flip toward the back of the Old Testament, you may notice there are lots of names that don't sound terribly familiar, names like Habakkuk and and Zephaniah and, and Nahum. I was doing a crossword puzzle the other day, and it said, what, essentially, what was the book of the Bible before Zephaniah? And I had one of those moments, like, I'm a pastor, I should know these things, and I had no idea who was the prophet before Zephaniah in the Old Testament. So sometimes I think we may skim over some of these prophets. We know, may know parts of the Old Testament. We may know some of the stories from Genesis or Exodus, the Psalms, or something that we're vaguely familiar with. But those prophets near the back, not so much. So there are 12 what are called minor prophets, minor meaning the shorter books of the Bible. And Amos is one of those. And so Amos here, often a prophet has a call from God, and they're being told, called to go to usually either an individual or a group of people or even a nation in this case, and to speak God's judgment to them, to be God's spokesperson and say, Essentially, God is not happy with the way things are going here. And that's what's happening here with Amos. Amos is speaking to the nation of Israel. 
And he's not necessarily speaking to them, most scholars believe. He's not saying to them, you are worshiping incorrectly, meaning you are, your liturgy is incorrect or your style of worship is, is poor. He's not saying that uh, you should not have contemporary worship or you should have highly liturgical worship, none of that. Instead, he's getting at their hearts. And he's getting into their lives and their behaviors. One of the main things, the point that he's making here is this. He's saying that you are coming to worship and you're lifting up this style of worship and you are not walking the walk. You're not living into what you are worshiping. You're not living into the things that you say when you worship as you go on your lives, especially in the way that you deal with the poor, especially in the ways that you deal with those on the margins of society. And so Amos is really taking it to them and speaking truth to them in pretty harsh ways. The prophets often will uh, not mince words. So this is what's going on here. Amos is speaking to a whole community of people, calling them to confess, calling them to repent, calling them to change their lives and behaviors, and telling them, if you don't, there will be repercussions. So I'm wondering, as I thought about this week, as I think about my own experience with community confession, which is sometimes mixed, I always I wonder, too, was there somebody who may have heard these words, who may have felt like, oh, but I am living out the way that I worship. Maybe there's just one person in the midst of thousands who is actually walking their walk who is actually living it out in their day-to-day lives, who is actually treating the poor with justice and kindness, who is doing their best to make sure that justice rolls down like waters and that righteousness is like an ever-flowing stream. And if that's the case, if there is even just that one person, you can imagine maybe what their response is when they are being called to confess as a community, called to repent, to change their lives. You have, to, you have to think that their first reaction is, but, but I'm not part of this group. That's these people over here. I am not a part of what they are doing. I am not a part of what they are all about. And I think sometimes that can happen in our own experience with community prayers of confession. Before I helped start Urban Village, I pastored two other churches, and often it was a little more formal liturgy, and we would almost every Sunday have a what was called a community prayer of confession. And as I think about these, and I would often write these, and so here's an example. This is a, a community prayer of confession that I wrote several years ago during the Advent season. This is from the first Sunday of Advent. It goes like this, Precious Lord, you know our desires and read our hearts. We are an impatient people. We want all the answers now. We want to feel good now. We want gratification now. We would rather not think about pain or sadness or injustice. We ignore these things, and when we do, others suffer, and so do we. Give us patient hearts, O God. Help us to wait for the advent of your coming, and help us to also see you in our lives every day. Stir in us the desire to respond to your presence. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this is the kind of prayer that I would write every week. Lots of we language, if you notice here. And when I was younger in my faith, I remember sometimes I would read this community prayer of confession. It's there in the bulletin. It's in bold type, which means everybody reads it. So you read it together. And there'd be times when I would read that, and I'd say, but this isn't true. I'm not doing the things that's that's written here. And so, for example, to take this prayer that I wrote, there might have been people who were reading this, and are feeling a little put out because they may say, but I, I'm not impatient. 
or uh, that's not me. I don't want gratification now. Or I do think about injustice. I do think about the pain and sadness that others are feeling. I don't ignore these things. There's a little bit of defensiveness, perhaps, as you're reading this community prayer of confession. And I, again, wonder if that one Israelite wondered when Amos is saying these things and they're, and they're thinking, who does Amos think that he is? He doesn't know me. I don't align myself with these people. And so at times wanting to be part of that community, but at also times when it fits to say, I am not a part of this. And I think that's understandably our first reaction when we're lumped together with others in a way that is unflattering or detrimental to, to who we are. But, but before we quickly jump to our own defense or disavow our relationship with others in the community, I think community confession should compel us to think about our role in the community and what effects it has what effects being in community have on our outlooks and behaviors. It should cause us to do some deep thinking. We should not go to the knee-jerk reaction and simply say, but I'm not, I'm not a part of that. Instead, to stop and say, has this community had an effect on me so that, in fact, indeed, I am part of this group that needs to confess? The problem is unpacking, reflecting, doing this deep reflecting is not always a pleasant experience. My family just went on a big road trip a couple of weeks ago, and we went uh, into part of the south, and we drove through Kentucky, and we camped for a few days in the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee and had a, a wonderful time camping, and then spent a couple days and nights in North Carolina uh, and we stayed in hotels there too. And as you can imagine, if you've ever been camping before, you have a lot of stuff. So I'm going to show a picture of the back of our van, that my, a picture that my wife took, and we have our sleeping bags, and we have our tent, and we have the mattresses that we used, and we have other baskets that we used for plates and food uh, and other materials that you need to camp. And that means also that there are suitcases, and we would have a big garbage bag that we would put our dirty clothes in. And so as the trip went along further and further, and we would have to stop and unpack things and pull things out, it got to the point where... You just didn't want to open the back of our minivan because it was kind of a mess. And you didn't every day want to say, let's take everything out and put it back in so that it was all neat and tidy. And there was one day near the end of the trip where I was so tired of doing it. And I had to get something out of my suitcase and I unzipped my suitcase and I just got the thing. Or I maybe put something else, my dirty socks or whatever, back in the suitcase and I just put the suitcase back in. And then on our last night, we were spending the night in Charleston, West Virginia. We were staying at a, at a hotel, and we were pulling stuff back out again. And, and my wife pulled out my suitcase, and as she pulled out my suitcase, uh, all of my stuff came flying out of the suitcase. I mean, literally, people were seeing my dirty laundry. And my wife because she's such a good-hearted person, was apologizing, but it wasn't her fault. I was the one who's like, I don't even want to zip up my suitcase. I'm so tired of packing and unpacking. I don't want to deal with it. And we would get into the van near the end, and it would kind of have a faint smell because we weren't really doing the packing and unpacking. It's no fun. It takes time. There are things that we would rather not see. It might even smell a bit. And so when we unpack our own stuff of our lives, our hearts, the things that are swimming beneath the surface, 
That's no fun, especially when we think if we're a part of a community and we sense that the community is at fault or the community needs to confess, and we might think to ourselves, well, I'm really not like others in my community. So this does not apply to me because doing that hard work of reflection and unpacking is unpleasant. But I think it's necessary. It's necessary because we are part of this community and we fail to really live out and be part of that community if we are constantly singing, well, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. This certainly happens a lot when we talk about uh, race and racism, and we've been doing a lot of conversation about that at our church, and we're going through this uh, audit uh, about uh, who we are as an institution and are there ways that we are implicitly uh, have things in place that uh, are, are racist or are uh, bordering on racism. It's been hard. It's been hard to do these things because it's easy to look at other institutions and say, well, we're not, we're not as bad as that. And I think this is what happens either as Christians or I think this is an easy thing sometimes for white people when someone that you're in a community with will do or say something that's blatantly racist. And so many times we're quick to say, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not part of this group. I'm not part of that community. If it's a Christian who says that, we're like, that's not my kind of, of Christian. And if, especially if they're doing something so blatant and you're like, well, clearly that's racism. And we don't look at our own lives. And because we do that knee-jerk reaction, because we just quickly become defensive, then we fail to do the internal work and we fail to do the work like, Am I somehow part of this community and am I implicitly doing something that continues this process that makes life harder for other individuals? Community confession means that we all stop and ask ourselves, are we doing things that make things more difficult for somebody else, even if we don't intend to? Have I been silent, both individually and as a group? Have we been silent in times when we should be speaking up? Have we ignored things because it's unpleasant to really deal with? Have we taken advantage of privileges granted to us because of our ethnicity, because of the education we have, because of the money that we make, because of where we live? These are hard questions. And it is so much easier not to unpack and to look at others. Well, they've got a lot more work to do than I do. So I'm just going to let them catch up to me before I do that work. But we're cheating ourselves. And we're not truly, if we really want to be part of a community, we are not investing like we should. If we're saying, well, others need to work on this stuff, I don't. Because we fail then to, to buy in and be part of the full community. Some of you may have read about the speech uh, a couple months ago by Mitch Landrew, who's the mayor of New Orleans, that he made on May 19th. And he was the speech was around explaining why the city was removing three Confederate and a white supremacist monument. And it went viral and it's got a lot of attention. And in his speech, he uses a lot of we language. I, I counted, in fact, 60 times he uses we and a lot of those uses are in encouraging positive ways. So here's an example. He says, There is no other place quite like New Orleans in the world that so eloquently exemplifies the uniquely American motto, e pluribus unum, out of many, we are one. So a sense of who we are in his context, who are we as, as citizens of 
New Orleans. But he also uses language that I think in some ways are kind of like a community confession of sorts. Here's another example. We forget, notice the pronouns he's using. We forget, we deny how much we really depend on each other, how much we need each other. We justify our silence and inaction by manufacturing noble causes that marinate in historical detail. There's this we language that he uses too. And I bet there are people who may have heard that and think, well, that's, but that's not me. He is saying, I think his call is certainly in that context to, to citizens of New Orleans, but it could be all of our call too. How often do we forget? How often do we deny how much we depend on each other, how much we need each other? How often do we justify our silence in an action by manufacturing noble causes, as he says, that marinate in historical detail? Friends, just because you didn't vote for a particular candidate and think that you're on the, quote, right side, unquote, of all the issues doesn't mean that you shouldn't participate in communal confession. We are all tied up together, and another's actions affects us more than we know. We simply just cannot deny that we are affiliated with that person. We have to stop and reflect and say, am I somehow culpable in this? Do I also need to do the work of unpacking my own stuff? There is beauty. There is beauty in we. But there must also be intentional actions to shine the light of Christ, which is the light of justice, on the ways in which we can be silent the ways in which we fall short, the ways in which we sin. The beauty of community is that we pick each other up. We hold each other accountable. The beauty of community is that we are for each other, that we trust one another, that when someone goes astray, the beauty of community is such that we can go to one another and say, I am for you and we can do better. And so, friends, as you think about the communities that you're a part of, especially a community of faith, reflect on, A, what does it mean to really buy in and be part of that community? And then when a community goes through the necessary part of confession and repentance, to say and do some deep reflection and unpacking, how have I done the same? And how have others had an impact on me so that we can once again go from the individual back to the communal, that we can see the necessity of saying I, but also the beauty of we. Amen. Friends, thank you uh, for listening to this podcast. Uh, As I've said, I think in previous weeks, previous podcasts, the switch has now been made. So the podcast that used to find on my own Podbean page is now the podcast that I'm using to um, be a compliment to my book, Failing Boldly. So you can go back to my individual podcast and subscribe there to hear what I think are interesting interviews with folks, leaders from other, uh, both the church worlds and the uh, non-church worlds about failure and resilience and perseverance. But certainly you can continue to find these podcasts on the Urban Village Podbean page. And as always, you can reach out to me. I'm at Christian Kuhn. I have a new website, christiankuhn.com, and also you can email me, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. And so, friends, until next week, may the peace of Christ be with you.